one of the songs <coughs> because of the tune. And I like it, and I think that's a great tune. But actually, if you listen to the words, you'll see that they have been carefully chosen. And the one we last sang was all about the truth. Truth, uh, take your truth, plant it deep in us. Truth unchanged since the dawn of time. And we're going to be thinking about truth today uh, as part of our series on Christ and the culture in which we live. And so we're going to start with a little test, okay? There are going to be five headlines up on the screen, all of which, all of which, don't look at them yet, all of which uh, had some traction in the world in which they were received. So they influenced people, okay? And I'm going to ask you whether it is fake news or whether it's based on the truth, okay? Now, you're at a bit of a disadvantage because you don't know the sources uh, from uh, this uh, information. Some of them from different sources where you might think that's a bit suspect. Others where you think, well, yes, that has the uh, mark of truth about it. And I'm going to ask you to be truthful to yourselves because after each one, I'm going to ask you to put up your hand if you think it's true or whether you think it's fake. And you have to mark yourselves, okay? And those with perfect insight get five out of five. And those who haven't got a clue get zero out of five. Okay? All right. So here's the first one, right? Donald Trump says his own Republican voters are the dumbest group of voters in the country. Okay? That was a quote. It was on social media, widely covered. Was it true or was it false? Those who think it was true... Those who think it was false. And the answer is? Fake news. So even if you saw it on video... Yes. Okay, well, I have to tell you that I have checked these sources, and this is fake news, and I can give you the BBC website where it says so. Okay, so Eve... All right, Eileen, Eileen, let's have a discussion afterwards. Difference, not division. Remember, that's what we're after. Okay. Number two. Michelle Obama deletes Hillary Clinton from Twitter because of the FBI investigation. This, of course, to demonstrate that even Democrats didn't trust uh, Hillary Clinton. True? False. Who says it's false? I hope you're keeping account. All right, what's the answer? It was fake news. She didn't say that. Okay. Uh, okay, next one. The Trump win has more people looking for love. That was a survey by eHarmony about relationships. True or false? True? Are you still counting? False? The answer is? It's true. How we do? Who's got three out of three so far? <laughs> this is, you don't need the sermon. You're so discerning. Okay, right. Next, fourth one. Fourth one. Hillary Clinton in 2013 says, I would like to see people like Donald Trump run for office. They're honest and can't be bought. Did she say it true? False? And the answer is, she did do an interview and she did talk about topics like that. 
But then it was quoted afterwards that she had said that. She was reported back later uh, on saying that. Okay, the last one, the last one. Donald Trump spent over £9 million of taxpayer cash on family trips in one month. True? It's the sort of thing you would believe about Trump. False? The answer is... Okay, so that uh, gives us a lead into our talk today, uh, which is going to be about truth and relativism. But before that, we're going to hear the truth as described by John in his gospel. And Ian is going to read that to us. Okay, the reading is uh, John's gospel. Chapter 1, verses 1 to 18, and it can be found on, the, on page 1063, 1063 of the Church Bibles, which are in the pillars. The Word became flesh. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, nor a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me, because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only Son, who is at the Father's side and has made him known. This is the Gospel of Christ. Thanks be to God. <clears throat> well, I was at the, um, the nine o'clock service this morning, and if you think it's cold now, 
you should have been here at nine o'clock, or rather you shouldn't, but uh, I did feel more like the Apostle Paul than I have ever felt in my life because at the end of one of his uh, letters he writes, uh, bring my cloak which I left at Troas. And I have to say it's the first time in church that I've ever texted anyone and uh, just before the sermon I texted Pam to say, bring my jumper because I'm going to be very cold by 11 o'clock. So. But um, uh, you'll be all be, uh, be like uh, frogs being heated in water because you come in cold and the heating is now working and uh, by the end of it you'll probably be boiling but you won't recognize it because it's happening so gradually. Isn't that reassuring? Well, for those of you who are here uh, uh, as visitors or haven't been in the last few weeks, um, what we're doing is we're talking uh, through our faith and how it applies in the culture in which we live. We've got the, uh, the tagline, never-changing gospel in an ever-changing world. And perhaps we should start with a sort of health warning, which will apply to all the talks that come from this point on, because thus far we've been dealing with uh, general principles, and now we're moving into areas where, if it's to be of any use to us, we need to get down to some specifics. And I'll be using some illustrations today about the world that we're living in, which will probably demonstrate that I'm different from you in some of the opinions that I have. Um, And indeed, I've already uh, had a hug from somebody at the nine o'clock service who completely disagreed with me about one of the illustrations that I'm going to use. But we can't keep hovering uh, like at helicopter level We need to go down into specifics. And when we do, uh, and we find that there are differences, our objective is not to come to a single point of view, because that may be impossible and it may be artificial. Our aim is to live with difference without it becoming division, which was the main message of Tom, who uh, is our vicar. And by the way, he's preaching today at Deep Cut Church, so he couldn't be with us in this service. So we're looking for difference, but not division. And today, uh, we tackle the subject of truth and relativism. Now, it's not truth and relativity, so I don't have to explain Einstein's theory of relativity to you, though I'm sure you know it. And uh, if you don't, I'm very grateful to uh, Steve Isherwood for uh, giving me this simple explanation. Einstein's theory of relativity (laughs) is that time goes more slowly when you spend it with your relatives. (laughs) Somebody said to me uh, after the nine o'clock service, and if those relatives are your grandchildren and you're looking after them, time stops. But relativism is different. Relativism is the idea that views are relative to differences in perception and consideration. There is no universal objective truth to those who believe in relativism. Each point of view has its own truth. So something can be true for me, but not true for you. And we don't need to have a disagreement about it because we've both got our own relative truths. So let's not fall out about it. You believe in Jesus Christ. I don't believe in Jesus Christ. That's fine. We can both go our own way because there's no such thing as absolute truth. And of course, this is not a a new phenomenon. 
If you think back to uh, um, when Jesus was before Pilate, Jesus, in his defense, mentioned the word truth. And Pilate, and he's quoted as saying this, what is truth? He, as a Roman governor, would know that you could invent any story that you wanted to and you could get it into the common belief and that would become truth. So, thank goodness, even though we may be uh, overawed by it, it's something that's been with us through the ages. But we live in an age when perhaps we're more conscious than we were before that for some, saying things that are not factually correct is okay if it serves a greater purpose, if it promotes a greater good. It's justifiable. It's interesting that I'm in those, uh, um, that little quiz that we had. Um, uh, most of the quizzes were about, were about the 2016 election uh, in America because that has sort of defined this idea of what's true and what's not true. So if you believe that, um, uh, um, uh, that Donald Trump is the right person to be, <coughs> to be uh, the President of the United States, it's okay to say that Hillary Clinton was criminal in her use of emails or to say that Joe Biden's um, son has profited from his father's position in the Democratic Party. It's okay it's justified, regardless of whether or not it's factually true, because it serves a greater purpose. Now, the arrival of social media enables stories that are factually inaccurate to have much greater and more immediate impact. And there are reasons for this. For a start, sources are anonymous and often can't be traced. This applies both to the websites themselves and to those who feed into uh, conventional websites. So we know already that in social media, people are much more radical about either what they say about somebody else or about what they believe to be an opinion or the truth. Because they know that they're not going to have to justify it. They know that they can remain anonymous and therefore uh, 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 truths that might otherwise have been exposed um, are allowed to fester and to grow. Secondly, people are on information overload. There is so much information sources around to us that it's far too complicated for us to be able to absorb them all and to reach a view. So we have to have something which we can pigeonhole and is simple for us to hold on to. And that links to the third point, which is that bots, short for robots, use algorithms to decide what articles are likely to appeal to which people and feed more of them. I won't tell you what my view on, on Brexit is. You may already guess it. But I know that if I go onto Facebook, the information that I get all supports my point of view. I don't hear from the other side. And so, therefore, that creates a, uh, a, um, a roller coaster effect have I become more and more and more entrenched in a particular point of view and I only hear the arguments on that side. And fourthly, commercially, it's a fact that a fanciful news creates more clicks. More clicks means more advertising revenue and it's good for business. 
And so therefore, whether it's accurate or not, those sites that uh, attract this sort of information know that it's going to be good for them financially. But there is an added, uh, an added twist to this. Not only is there more fake news around, there is a growing school of thought that factual accuracy, what we would call the truth, is anyway less important than emotional truth. It's not the facts out there, it's what I feel that becomes the predominant factor in where my stance is. Now, I'm going to give you two quotes, okay? And this is where I fell out with the person at the 9 o'clock service because she happened to know both of the people who are quoted. I'm not going to tell you who, quote, who they are, but just look at the first one, okay? Facts don't work. You've got to connect with people emotionally. Anyone like to guess who said that? It was Aaron Banks, who is the chief financer of uh, uh, UKIP. Now, my friend said, yes, but everything can be taken out of context. And she was of the view that that was not seen in its wider context. And that of itself, of course, is changing the facts by only quoting uh, um, a part of them. How about the second one? You might have a, a better memory of this. I think people in this country have had enough of experts. Our own MP, Michael Gove, which is a shame because I consider him an expert in many areas. But that's the sort of... And whether he's being... No, no. Friends, friends. I'm not standing for Parliament. Okay. But uh, 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 A... Whether or not it's taken out of context, it's been used time and time again by people uh, who don't support a particular point of view. So we are now, whether we like it or not, living in what's called a post-truth culture. Now this is not to say that everyone's happy with that. I guess most of us will not be happy with the fact that facts don't mean as much as we thought they did in the first place. Most of us would want to know that objective truth is still the predominant consideration when it comes to making decisions in life. But the fact is that we are living in that world, so we need, what we need to do is to look at what the Bible has to say and then what the implications for us as Christians are. And the first thing I want to say, there are three things about the Bible and four things about what we might do about it. The first thing about what the Bible has to say, the Bible asserts that objective truth is a reality. It's not a human invention. It's not used simply to try and confound people. It, is, exists, it exists because God exists. And that's why we had our reading from John's Gospel. In the beginning was the Word. It's a statement. God was there at the beginning. If you look at Genesis, in the beginning, God created. There's no discussion about it. God is the reality, and God created the rules in which this world is to live. And he sets the rules for how the world ticks, and the world becomes unmanageable if contradictory truths are all true. Now, some will reasonably say, well, well, that's fine for what you might call scientifically 
materially provable facts. So I can say Winston Churchill uh, was the uh, Prime Minister of Britain during the Second World War. And that's pretty uncontroversial because people can say, okay, we can find out that. It's more controversial and less provable if I say, and Jesus Christ was the Son of God. Now, we're going to come back to that. I'm going to plant that because in how we react to things, I think we will cover that. But we have to accept that there are truths that are very evidently self-provable and there are truths that uh, uh, require a little more nuance to it. The second thing about the Bible is that the Bible asserts that truth-telling is fundamental. Here, you'll see on the screen... Uh, some uh, random, really, because we could quote almost from uh, every book of the Bible about the importance of truth. But here are some. Uh, Psalm 52. You love evil rather than good, falsehood rather than speaking the truth. Proverbs. Buy the truth. Do not sell it. Wisdom, instruction, and insight as well. Very telling words from Zechariah. These are the things that you are to do. Speak the truth to each other and render true and sound judgment in your courts. And then Jesus himself, his prayer for the disciples is that they would be sanctified by the truth. Your word is truth. So there are two things about the Bible. The third thing about the Bible is that it asserts that objective facts do matter. And my evidence for that is looking at uh, the book of Acts, where the early disciples became what we call today the apostles, and they proclaimed the truths uh, of Jesus being uh, a human being, but being God as well, of having died, but having been resurrected and sent to glory. And how did they do this? What they did not do is to say, Jesus has changed my life. He really means a lot to me. The 12 disciples became apostles by one criteria only, and that is that they had been witnesses of the death and resurrection of Jesus. So they were the ones who could say, I have been there, I have seen it happen. And if you think about it, while it's difficult for us today in the present world to distinguish the, de- the truth from lies, how much more so in those days when there was no way of checking facts that a story could generate and become true just because people were saying it. Well, the early apostles recognized that being the witnesses was the best way of demonstrating that it actually happened. And if you weren't a witness of these things, then you couldn't be one of those 12 apostles. Okay, so those are the, the, what has the Bible to say. Now, every, every good word, whether this is good or not, you can decide. Every good word has to be a so what. What are we going to do as Christians in this age in which there is a changed view about truth? And just remember, this is not a passing phase. What we're seeing today, in 10 years' time, we'll think, gosh, that's the, those were the early nursery days of of fake news and of uh, influences because it's going to happen more and more. Okay, so there are four things that I suggest that we, we as Christians can do. The first is to check the facts. Look for reliable sources. 
ask yourself whether or not the newspaper you read or the websites that you get your information from have a bias that is actually endorsing a view which is not objectively true. So to be critical, to be open to being corrected. And as a society, I believe we need organizations like Facebook and Google to give more and more emphasis to having fact-checkers, people who are actually there watching what's going on to this, this live feeding of information and checking that it's true, and if it isn't, taking it out. Never have a total victory, but if we don't have any attempt at all, it'll be even worse. But more than that, we as Christians, I think, and I don't think this is being super spiritual about it, we have the spirit of truth that's available to us for us to check that what we are having opinions about have that mark of integrity about them. In John 16, Jesus says, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. Now, I'm not suggesting that if we all just ask the Holy Spirit, we'll all have a common view about this, that, and the other. It's not going to happen like that. But we as individuals should always be asking ourselves and asking God to help us, are we reaching a firm and right view about this, that, or the other? Being open to that is the best way of correcting any error that builds in with us. Okay, so the first to check the facts. The second is to uh, uh, break out of our bubbles. We live in an increasingly polarized society and even, even in our church, we're likely to gravitate to those that we know agree with us on the big and important issues. And we, as a Christian community, I always think the Christian community ought to be a model of how we would like to see the world. We ought to be the people who are prepared to listen to difference. Not necessarily to come to the same conclusion, but to actually listen, to try to understand why people hold different views and not to identify the person with the view that they hold. The person is more important. And if we cannot demonize the person because of our difference of views, then we will be helping to counter some of the untruths that there are in the world. The third thing I think we need to do is to be respectful of other views, especially where there's room for doubt. And perhaps especially within the church itself, again, because the church should be the model of the society that we're looking for. And on matters of doctrine and Christian practice, we need to recognize that the essence of the faith is far narrower than we often make it out. Do you remember Claire's lovely illustration about the baggage we're taking with us? The things that we believe are absolutely essential to the Christian faith. And again, if you look to the New Testament, you look to Acts, when the people were presented with the gospel, it was a very, very narrowly defined set of beliefs. Not narrow people, but the things that were essential were understanding that Jesus actually lived, that he died, and that he was, he was raised to life. And that's the core. 
There was no preaching about uh, the place of women in church. There was not even any preaching about euthanasia or abortion or things like that. Now, I understand that you can't just argue from that base that these are unimportant. But I do believe that they're secondary issues. Secondary, still important, but the first and most important thing that should unite us is Jesus Christ, who he was, the fact that he is the saviour of the world and is the saviour of every human being who, who comes to him. And the last point, which will take just a little bit longer than the other three, the last point that I think should be our response to the challenge of truth is that we should be truthful people. If we want to see truth prevail, we have to start with ourselves. We have to be, I think this is a a word from Tom, uh, we have to be authentic. If you look at the dictionary definition of authentic, it is undisputed in its origin, not a copy, genuine. We need to be genuine people. If we want to counter fake news, we can't do it as fake people. If we want to challenge relativism, we can't do it by being relatively Christian. I think that the best illustration of this, and I find this uh, uh, very inspiring, and usually illustrations are the only things that one remembers from a talk, so try and remember this. And that is the Greek word for actor. Do you know the Greek word for actor in the New Testament? It's changed now in modern Greek. Actors in the times of uh, the New Testament always wore masks. It was a way of conveying the person that they were trying to be. And the word for actor is somebody who is beyond criticism. In other words, not to be taken at face value, because the face was different from the reality behind. And do you know what beyond criticism in New Testament Greek is? Hippocrates, a hypocrite. Not used initially as a criticism, just don't take this person seriously because the reality is different. Now, unfortunately, for many of us as Christians, we have a mask. We have a set of beliefs and we have a set of practices. And the practices demonstrate the real us And the beliefs are what we present to other people. And that brings us back to the question of how provable, how provable uh, is the truth of Christianity? And the answer is, it's as provable as your genuineness in being a Christian. It's as provable as you not being a fake Christian. And we can distinguish ourselves as Christians in two ways. One is by what we believe, our views about gender or family values or euthanasia or abortion. And these are important. But there is another way, and that is the life that we lead, contented with what we've got, capable of coping with adversity without being overwhelmed by it, showing excessive love that doesn't require any explanation other than that love, eyebrow-raising love, being servant-hearted, not worrying about our status, but being concerned to be giving people to others. 
And I have to say, you don't have to make a decision between the two, because both are important. But I'll tell you what, the one that's most effective in demonstrating the truth of Jesus is the second one. It's uh, not, not, not coincidence that the two great commandments, when Jesus is asked to summarize the law, both in you use the word love. Love God and love your neighbor. It's significant that in this reading that we had from the Gospel of John, Jesus, when he's introduced, is described as being full of what? Grace and truth. So Jesus didn't just come to get the truth right. He came to bring grace, which is another way of describing love. And when we are gracious as well as truthful, that's when the truth becomes real to other people. So that's a challenge for us. It's a challenge for me. Am I a genuine Christian? How much of this is mask? Well, I'm not going to score 100% on that. But God loves me and he will continue to work on me. And let's pray also that that will apply to us too. So maybe just a moment of uh, silence while we reflect on that and this picture of is there a mask there? Am I putting on an appearance to people uh, that belies the truth of the gospel that has transformed my life?